Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. I mentioned before the break that uh, we have stumbled into a little trend here on the program. We, over the past number of months, have, in the news, observed many phenomena, right? And... Sometimes, if you look at things and say, you know what, uh, one plus one equals two, and if that happens, then this is going to happen. I'm confused. Yeah, no. L- let me let me be clear. The other day, we had a conversation uh, which looked at a study authored by Paul Cassell. Uh, you know the uh, the University of Utah law professor, distinguished professor, a former federal judge. Uh, he looked at an interesting uh, phenomenon. And that was as protests around the country have shot up, how the number of protests and those who have taken to the streets uh, has, has increased, you know, since the end of May or so. That has required that has required uh, essentially a reallocation of resources amongst law enforcement. OK, uh, a police force only has so many officers on the clock each day, and if you need to reallocate all of your officers to you know evening patrols during the protest time, well, that's going to leave certain areas of policing, uh, well, unpoliced. And that has led to an uptick in crime, specifically homicide. So if you remove the police from one area of life, from one sector of the community, you are going to see an uptick in crime. There will be a vacuum there, and crime will fill it. That's common sense. And Paul Cassell uh, worked out the numbers, looked at stats across the across the country, across major cities here in the United States, and shows that, uh, well, you see, if you remove officers from uh, here, well, crime is going to move on in. Okay, that's that That was first uh, this week. Now, now, today, a similar cause and effect where common sense where common sense applied to it, uh, you know, certainly agrees with the findings of a scientific study. Today's study, the one I want to share with you right now, is the actual cost, the actual cost that our nation will pay for the lost schooling of earlier this year. When COVID showed up, uh, we shut the doors to, to many of the schools, sent uh, the kids home. Uh, we started to, you know, try to figure out online distance learning. Uh, and we, you know, we, we refined the process a bit. And there are uh, districts across the country, certainly across this great state, uh, which have relied uh, almost entirely on this online learning today. You know, there are hybrid models, some offering uh, class all day. But uh, we, we earlier in the year, uh, we, we kind of worked out the system. And during that period of working things out, uh, not a lot of learning happened. All right. I think that's pretty safe to assume. Not a lot of learning happened. And the price tag for that may very well be $14 trillion. $14 trillion. Now, how do we get to that number? In a study uh, done by an economist named Eric Hanashek, he's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford. 
and also a professor at the University of Munich. They found uh, some frightening details about this long-term economic impact of kids having to stay out of school. Those children, children across this country uh, who were deprived of about a third of the year's schooling, they will, over the course of their lifetime, see uh, a a decrease of about 1.5% in their income. That ultimately equates to a 3% drop in GDP, or $14 trillion. $14 trillion. Here's that senior fellow, Eric Hanischek, explaining uh, what went into this study. There's been a lot of study of how quality of education pays off. Um, The interest in future economic gains drives a lot of decision-making of individual parents and students about going to school. He continues talking about how education and the economy truly do go hand in hand. What is less well known is, uh, first, that the quality of education has an enormous impact on the future economic growth of the U.S. And the future well-being of the United States is heavily dependent upon having high-quality schools because it's the quality of the workforce that, in fact, drives economic growth. For the U.S., 1.5% loss in future GDP as a result of learning loss, equivalent to one-third of a year, would be the equivalent of $14 trillion. But uh, the estimated loss uh, catapults to $28 million if these uh, students continue experiencing uh, this loss in education time in the classroom. For each one-third of a school year, $14 trillion uh, are lost. And the the researchers say, quote, that these economic losses would grow if schools are unable to restart quickly. These losses will be permanent unless the schools return to better performance levels than those in 2019. Okay, see, now we're starting to talk about solutions. Now we're starting to look at this in terms of what can we do. We know uh, that we lost a third of the year. We know, again, this study claims, I should say, maybe we don't know, uh, but this study, which has looked at uh, the impact across the globe and certainly across this country, having lost a third sets us back. Let's say it's 1.5%. If we are going to get back on track, the suggestion from the, uh, the study authors is that we need to return schools. So once we're back into some you know, new normal scenario for students, we need to increase the standards. We need to increase educational standards to a degree higher than they were in 2019. Now, that's only one suggestion. That's what the study's authors uh, propose. I have a few thoughts of my own. And how about this? Uh, maybe, maybe schools just stay their current course. Maybe schools do everything they can, continue to focus on returning the school setting to as normal as possible, uh, you know, something pre-COVID, if that's ever possible again. And then, and then, maybe we make up the ground at home. Maybe parents look at this and say, you know what, the future happiness and financial security of my children is dependent on their education. And right now, thanks to COVID, old Aunt Rona, when she rolled into town, uh, they've been set back. And what can we do uh, to help catch them up? What can we do to help catch them up? 
more learning at home. And I know you're saying, Lee, hold on. You, you've got uh, this little baby who isn't quite in school yet. You don't have these same concerns. Uh, your kid uh, you know, wasn't uh, missing school for that third of the year. Uh, what do you know? Uh, we've all got <laughs> hectic routines and schedules to maintain, and you want us to add 1.5% of additional education so that we can catch our kids up. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I am. And I think you can do it easily. Little habitual things that you could do, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe when it's bedtime and it's time for the story, you uh, you find something that uh, you know, complements what's being learned in the classroom. If you've got older students, uh, you know, helping them with the homework. But we've got to make up this ground because not only does the future economic prosperity of our children depend on it, uh, but so too does our national security. And I don't mean to sound hyperbolic, uh, but a uh, smarts, smarts, that's what goes into defending a nation. And there are other countries around this globe who are facing the same challenges right now. And some nations uh, are a little more authoritarian (laughs) than we are here. And they may compel some of this uh, makeup work. So let's do our part uh, to bridge that gap. I think we can do it no problem. We'll be a smarter, uh, more successful, more economically stable, and a more securely defended nation in the future. It's a slight hiccup. We can overcome it. Quick break. When we return, I'll be joined by Debbie Dejanovic. We're going to talk about minimum wage. We're going to talk about Hobby Lobby and our first jobs. That's all ahead next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.